Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. Here in episode 51, we're joined by Alan Schaefer. He's executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum, where we talk about why his organization was formed and the purpose it still serves. He also talks about how his childhood influenced his interest in air quality, the apples to oranges comparison of passenger cars and commercial vehicles. We also discuss why diesel will continue to be the dominant fuel for the next several decades and the things that can be done to make diesel even cleaner than it is today. Today we have joining me Alan Schaefer. Alan's the executive director at the Diesel Technology Forum. It's a real pleasure to have you on today, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike. Yeah, you know, um, as I always say every every time we get together, this podcast is uh, titled Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. And, you know, I, I'm learning so much, Alan, as I talk to, you know, amazing people, all of which I, you know, I, I kind of knew uh, before. But do you remember how uh, sort of NACFI and the forum uh, first got together or how you and I met? Do you, do you recall? I, I was thinking about that, Mike, and um, my, I think it must have been during your run at Navistar, one of your former lives. I, um, I had a good number of meetings in uh, Melrose Park there when I was at the American Trucking Association. So um, it was a, a place and a good number of people there that were not unfamiliar to me. So I want to say there for the first time, but, um, you know, more recently, we've certainly recognize uh, NACFI's great work, and I've, I've had you on as a panelist at some of the SAE government industry meetings um, over the last 10 years or so. Let's start with you telling us a little bit about the Diesel Technology Forum. Tell us what you do there and what the organization is and does. Uh, the forum was established, gosh, 22 years ago, and um, heavy-duty truck and engine OEMs um, got together and, and uh, convinced some of their colleagues in the supplier community and the oil industry to come together on a new effort that was needed in their minds to educate folks about diesel. You know, we were at that time was coming off a a pretty heavy uh, time in the regulatory world for heavy duty engine uh, manufacturers. And that was sort of the 2000 standards. And there was just a feeling that folks didn't appreciate all that diesel technology did, how efficient it was. And um, with that new rule now 20 years ago, um, where it was going in terms of being uh, a way to help improve air quality and, and uh, you know, continue to deliver all the things that uh, our economy demanded. So that group of folks got together and said, you know, let's set something up and try something out. If it doesn't work, we won't do it anymore. But um, lo and behold, it, um, it did work. The forum is kind of an unusual organization in that we have truck and engine and equipment OEMs, um, light duty manufacturers, off-road equipment folks, renewable fuel suppliers, petroleum fuel suppliers. So we sort of have um, anybody who's uh, in the diesel business, um, small engine, large engine, on-road, off-road, all part of the uh, all part of the activity. But um, getting back to the the name of the forum was chosen pretty deliberately. They they wanted to start something that was not a, an industry trade association. They already had that. They already had that with the truck and engine manufacturers, the oil industry, the API, or you know whatever. They wanted it to be a place where folks would feel welcome uh, coming to talk about issues relative to diesel, and where the organization would feel comfortable talking with other stakeholders in the environmental community. And of course, the media. Um, and so really that's the um, that's how the forum got started. And you know, gosh, 22 years later, here we are. 
Yeah, it's amazing how time flies, isn't it? And uh, it you, is. know, you know, NACFI, we, we talk about us being unbiased and that, that becomes a bit of a similar, I'll call it a safe place for discussions. Um, there's so much going on. It sounds like the forum is, is similar to that. Um, how about you yourself? Um, you know, I mentioned, I know you mentioned the ATA a, a bit, but, uh, you know, tell us about your career, you know, kind of what were some maybe key moments back that, um, you know, kind of got you to where you are now and help prepare you for, for what you're doing today. Oh boy. Okay. So, you know, like, like many folks, um, I didn't really have a preordained direct path to, to being the executive director at the Diesel Technology Forum. Um, I had one foot squarely in the uh, healthcare medical world and um, one foot uh, um, uh, in other places. So I had asthma as a kid growing up and that gave me a pretty good um, perspective about air pollution and you know things in your environment and that sort of thing. And I was a a little known fact, I was I was a respiratory therapist for about four years uh, during all my wow. undergrad. That, that yeah. is a little. That, I mean, that, <clears throat> that, 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 it also tells me, and you know, how you appreciate the work that's coming that we're doing, or not only coming, but that we've been through. Um, um, you know, around diesel. I had, a, I had a guest of mine. I'm kind of interrupting you, so we'll come back to your career. But I had a guest of mine recently say that. You know the 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 people and the companies that selected diesel uh, for the f fuel of choice for freight never imagined the consequences of the exhaust to the environment. Um, it was his thought, and he and he was actually I think quoting somebody else. Um, but uh, that struck me. You know, I mean, and so you know, what decisions are we making now that we have no idea the adverse consequences that might come down the road? But we might get into that. But but go ahead, Alan. Yeah, no, no, I, I'd love to, the chance to respond to that. And, um, you know, so I, I was, uh, you know, I was in the healthcare industry and working in respiratory therapy. And then I, I started working towards a, a master's degree in environmental health at, uh, at Hopkins School of Public Health and um, got a job working as a um, uh, somebody managing a research lab in the clinical pulmonary medicine world. And we actually did exposure testing on um, men with heart disease, trying to determine whether or not the carbon monoxide uh, ambient air quality standard was protective enough of, um, of the most uh, sensitive portion of the population, which in that case was people with heart disease. Um, um, because carbon monoxide limits your body's ability to have uh, the right supply of oxygen on board. So, you know, I was, I was deeply entrenched in, in, you know, white coats and laboratory and drawing blood and doing lung function tests and all that. And uh, once I graduated, got my master's and, um, you know, I, I just uh, came upon an opportunity. ATA was advertising for an environmental specialist that was going to start a new uh, program with environmental and occupational health. And I thought, wow, that sounds pretty interesting. So, um, you know, I started there in 1987 and uh, spent 13 years there and, and kind of finished up as the vice president of environmental policy. But it was it was really a great time in my life that um, it uh, gave me a chance to, to see and learn so much about this industry um, that, uh, you know, I worked with the 50 state trucking associations on issues like, you know, smoke emission standards, uh, roadside testing in their states. Um, I did uh, a lot of work on Capitol Hill during the 1990 Clean Air Act amendments, and that was, uh, you know, a great way to understand how Congress really works. Of course, it, it did really work back then, not so much today, maybe. Um, 
but uh, you know, it was it was it was a great experience at ATA, and I, I got to travel a lot and see a lot of people. And of course, I got very close to a lot of the truck and engine manufacturers during that time. Um, I worked on an SAE standards committee um, on the first smoke opacity standard, SAEJ sixteen sixty seven, and you know, got to, made some regular trips to Detroit and Chicago, and you know, we hammered out a standard at that time that told us how to measure smoke emissions from diesel trucks. It's kind of kooky considering where we are today. The diesel story, Alan, over the past 40 years is, is really amazing. I mean, I think some of us, you know, we've been through it in our careers. I mean, we're about the same age. And so we've, 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 we've watched it sort of happen somewhat slowly. But, you know, I had the opportunity to, to make a, a lecture last year for SAE, the Buckendale lecture. And I, I took uh, the opportunity to to brag a bit about our industry and you know, think at 40 years you know 20 years the first 20 years we were cleaning up harmful emissions um you know knox in particular matter and now then from you know up till that 2000 time frame that you were talking about and and that 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 went into 2010 with the the, the last round of last recent round of knox and then now 20 years that we're in the middle of with respect to fuel economy and greenhouse gas emissions man you know we've got very clean diesel that are getting you know, that are getting on highway tractors move from, and I always say six to eight to 10 mile per gallon over this time period. Um, what a great success story. Are we too modest and not talking about it? Or is there just so many other challenges that we're, we're just on to the next one, Alan? And I guess maybe first, do you agree with all that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you're spot on that we're way too modest and, and don't really um, talk about that the way we should. I, I remember back when I was at ATA talking to fleets about really starting to have some environmental sensibility that, you know, every time that you put a new truck on the road or every time you make sure there's an oil change and, and tire pressure is checked, um, those are all little things, um, but they add up to be big things. And they are the things that, you know, enable us to have the kind of progress and uh, for folks to feel ownership in the choices that they're making and how they are contributing to a cleaner environment. And I feel like, you know, industry is, it needs to not be so critical of itself uh, as much and, and, you know, talk about the good parts. And, and those simple things, as you know, really add up, whether that driver's, you know, thinking about 55 and, or if he's thinking about getting home really fast and how far can he push it, um, you know, those matter. And um, they matter in terms of efficiency and emissions and, and economics. So, um, I think we we can we can do better talking about progress. Yeah, and these emissions are accumulative, no matter what you're talking about. I mean, so what we do today with these trucks, and, and you mentioned a number of low hanging fruit items around, you know, driving slower, um, make sure you're checking all your um, components that they're working right, and on and on. And um, you know, it's just it's just you know, the black smoke's gone. Um, you know, the the aerodynamics and the the efficiency and uptime that have come with these highly efficient trucks. It's a great, uh, you know, that starts with the diesel engine. It's you know, it's it is um, uh, really great. Um, but you know, um, it, it comes at now with more challenges around primarily, uh, you know, continued um, focus on NOx. I and mean, we've had a a recent uh, proposal on a rulemaking that um, uh, on Knox, but we've also, uh, you know, just there's opportunities to have, um, you know, very low or even zero emission technologies coming with electric, electric and hydrogen and other sort of things. So, um, how, how does uh, you know just kind of how does all that fit with um, what you view 
I guess as we start to turn to look at the future, um, how, how does all that fitting and, and um, how do you think about that and, and, and uh, what do you do about it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's quite a, um, a departure from some of the conventional thinking and, and circumstances that we've experienced in the last 20 years in the trucking industry. And, you know, I firmly remember back in the, when 1999, 2000, when the current standards were adopted, you know, folks were, their chins were dropping and they were, you know, not sure how you were ever going to get a diesel engine to be, you know, close to zero emissions. I mean, how was that even going to happen? And, you know, my God, we had to completely change the diesel fuel quality. And that was, you know, something yet again. So somehow all that came together. And, you know, this next challenge is, is considerably more complicated. I think, you know, first of all, to the good credit that you guys do at NACFI, um, the bridge concept that you have really, you know, helps folks visualize kind of this continuum that we're on. Um, and it, it is very good. And I, I, I profess to having used it in a good number of my presentations since I first saw it. So thank you uh, for that. Um, it is though one dimensional. And I think, you know, it sort of presupposes in some level that some all trucking companies and fleets are alike, and the adoption of these new technologies might be linear. And you know, my experience in the industry suggests um, anything but that. Um, you know, I saw this dichotomy when I was at ATA. We had, you know, sort of the, the national carriers, the folks that were very progressive on every aspect of trucking and running their business. Um, and then we are always thinking about, you know, the majority of the industry, which was the small guys, the fleets of 20 or less vehicles that, um, you know, the sort of what you call the mom and pop type truckers, the ones that, you know, built their business into a namesake and were proud to have their name painted on the side of the trucks and trailers serving their community and their, their state and the region. And if they were lucky, maybe even nationwide. So, you know, I think um, it's, a, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting time. I think um, I see a lot of material out there about the future and which fuels and technology are going to be the, the winner, so to speak. And, you know, there's also lots of hyperventilating about it. Yeah. Um, you know. So I think I, I think one of the things that that I've learned over the last, well, for I guess forever, but really in the last 10 years is that um, due to the um, broadness or diversity or variations that occur in commercial trucking. So you've got small trucks, you got big trucks, you got over the road, you got urban, there's, um, you know, there's uh, less than truckload, truckload, private, dedicated, tankers, flat, I mean, on and on, yeah. all these elements, some operate in different states with different rules and regulations. And so uh, because of that, um, and that, that quite frankly is why I've met a career of it, it's just fun. Um, but because of that, there's always um, adopter, early adopters of great solutions because it applies to them in particular. And then that same technology doesn't apply at all to others. Um, we're seeing that right now with electric trucks where, you know, if you're smaller or you're returned to base every day and you can put charging in place at that location, you know, it becomes a, a, a viable option for you to think about and consider. But if you're in irregular routes, um, doing long haul, it, it's nowhere close. That, that may be, that may be the most obvious of the point I'm trying to make where, um, that makes it really challenging for a lot of people who know a little bit about trucking or maybe a lot about trucking. But the fact is that, um, uh, technologies work really well in some places and not in others, much more than things like light duty passenger cars and other, and other marketplaces. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the challenges that we have is, you know, there's such a move afoot on uh, electrification of the passenger vehicle fleet um, that folks sometimes, you know, sort of overlay what's possible in the passenger car sector to what's possible in the heavy duty sector. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's clearly an apples and oranges kind of comparison. I think, um, you know, one of the things that uh, for me, I, I sort of feel like, you know, we can oversimplify here a little bit maybe, but, you know, today the pendulum is pretty much all diesel. Um, and, you know, some we're, we're sort of seeing a swing to the other side where we're talking about all electric or all something else, hydrogen, EV, battery, whatever. But, you know, um, like, a, like a pendulum, the balance, you know, usually tips back towards the middle um, at some point. And so um, I think, you know, we hear a lot about the future being eclectic. And I think that's ultimately what we're going to have here in the next couple of decades as these technologies start to shake out and we understand what's real, what's possible, what, what's not going to come about for whatever reason. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, there's so many factors today, not to mention what's the, uh, you know, the geopolitical situation, but just the basics. Right. Yeah. And so I got to ask you, I mean, you and I participated in a debate um, a couple of weeks ago and it was on what will dominate, you know, what solution will dominate heavy duty long haul trucking by 2030. So short eight years away. And you, of course, um, debated on the diesel side, but we also had uh, some experts telling us why battery electric trucks will dominate in long haul and why um, hydrogen hydrogen would. Uh, you remember that, right? I mean, you, you, oh, yeah. you, uh, you did a great job <laughs> and you, uh, and I, I moderated it and I tried to make it a little bit like a presidential candidate debate and, and get in, you know, get under your skin a little bit as a moderator. As um, you should. Yeah. And it was fun. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, was, um, what did, what do you recall from that? And what moments did you feel like you had great points and maybe, maybe a few where you were a little unsteady on, but um, debating for diesel in 2030, tell us. You know, honestly, it really wasn't that complicated because I think, you know, at the outset, pretty much everybody said 2030, you know, I mean, come on, diesel's going to continue to be the dominant technology. I mean, who could yeah. imagine that in eight years, this kind of overwhelming change could happen in a way that would, you know, see 51% of new truck purchases and the infrastructure to support those be something other than diesel. So, you know, I would, I, one of the things I said was, I, I'm, 2030 feels, I feel pretty confident there. And I honestly, I feel, I can feel pretty confident at 2040, just the same, um, you know, because there are so many uncertainties bringing in some of the, the new technologies, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, we all said at the end that, hey, at the end of the day, you know, um, this climate change is a real challenge. We've got to step up and do it. And it's going to take more than one solution. And, you know, all of these fuels and technologies have a part in that. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And I, I think um, there were uh, both the sort of the common big discussions around why diesel or battery, you know, what are, let me say it this way, what there, there was the common big advantages and challenges of diesel, battery, and, and hydrogen. But, um, it, you know, it, it, we also got into some details because I think we're, we're moving to a point now where you know, in, in some of these cases with these technologies, they will scale to some extent. And we're starting to really look at the implementation and execution of that happening. So, you know, we're in the weeds on some of these things. So I, I really appreciated you and your counterparts really getting into some of the 
details of of, um, of these different technologies and how they will um, find their way over the next couple of decades. Absolutely, you know, and there's a lot of great companies with great people there, you know, working on these, and and these are the you know traditional diesel truck and engine manufacturers. So you know, having worked with those guys for the better part of you know thirty couple years, um, you know, I know what they're capable of. So. Um, I, I fully see that these alternative fuels will be a success at some level, at some point in time. I think, you know, to say otherwise is to not be, you know, somewhat out of touch with reality. Yeah, and you know, if I, if, and I've said this a lot, I, I think, uh, you know, a number of years ago, if I was to, you know, if, if micro 10 years ago was just plunked into today, uh, I would be really concerned about the industry's ability to handle all this, you know, electrification. even we haven't talked about autonomy and other things <laughs> that are, you know, that that's really uh, opportunistic and in, 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 um, in front of us. Um, but I, I feel pretty confident. I mean, that um, you know, we have a, 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 an interesting mix of startups and traditional manufacturers. You've got different NGOs, um, you know, some helpful, maybe some not so helpful, but we've got a lot going on. And I, I feel a, uh, a sense of uh, uh, real, let's figure this out and um, figure it out for the right sectors and, and make good decisions. But, you know, it's complex. Um, so yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a rocky, but really fun ride. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, when, you know, diesel emerged as the as the primary technology and fuel for the commercial trucking sector. The folks at that time, you know, were making the best decision that they could based on the data and, and the moment. And, you know, what was the alternative? Um, it, what were we talking about? You know, large bore gasoline engines. I mean, just imagine the economic and environmental impact of having done that. You know, yeah. the greenhouse gas emissions, the you know, diesel has 12% more um, energy content alone. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's hard to imagine that, that, that it could have gone better back then. And, you know, I think we know a lot more today than we did, obviously, you know, back in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, um, you know, I think that uh, that's going to help inform our experience going forward. Yeah, so a couple of, so one, we're running out of time, Alan. We always, it always happens fast. But what are some of the key next steps for diesels as we move forward, given all of this, I, um, you know, is it bio or renewable? Is it working with the truck manufacturers? Is it this latest, uh, you know, NOx and Giant NOx and greenhouse gas rule coming together? I mean, what, are, what are some of the kind of the key next pieces? Maybe this is, you know, what's on, you know, your forums um, agenda over the next couple of years, but what are they? Yeah, so I think, you know, certainly still plenty of opportunity here with diesel, um, you know, both, I think, on the simple side and then maybe the more complex side. First of all, you're starting to see the uh, introduction and some of the business decisions around bringing some of the technology companies into the uh, truck and engine manufacturer space. You know, companies like uh, 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 Jake Brake, now part of uh, or soon to be part of the Cummins Enterprise. Um, and others, they bring, you know, things like cylinder deactivation and, you know, maybe even some more of the start-stop technologies like we've had in passenger vehicles. And those all contribute to uh, saving fuel, of course. So um, those are some of the, you know, more low-hanging fruit. And then you get into things like waste heat recovery and, uh, you know, second and third generation SCR systems. So I think there's a lot of technology still there to, to make diesel be able to meet this even nearer to zero standard. 
I guess the thing that worries me more about it than anything is that this rule doesn't address um, uh, one of the big challenges at all. And that is, what about this legacy fleet? Um, because you know we're, we're talking now about diesel engines today are 98% lower in both NOx and PM than they were you know, over a decade ago. And we're talking about you know, getting anywhere from what, 40, 60, 75% further reduction of a very small number already. So we're gonna spend tremendous cost and time and effort to try and get into that little teeny weeny box. Um, but we're not gonna address anything about the, you know, half of the fleet out there is pre 2011. And, you know, what would be the NOx benefit and the greenhouse gas benefit from simply helping to get old trucks off the road and get newer technology, diesel or natural gas in their hands for the next five to 10 to 15 years um, as these new technologies have a chance to scale? What would be the benefit of that? And I think that's the, that's the thing that this, this rule does not address. Yet, I think we really must address that if we're gonna have the kind of progress that we need on improving the air quality and also uh, meeting the climate challenge. Alan, thanks so much for joining me. You're doing some very interesting work there and uh, uh, keeping us grounded in um, you know, the work that we can do right now, saving fuel, saving emissions and um, and really moving forward. So um, thanks and um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Great, Mike, thank you very much. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.